be here on Sunday and to celebrate the goodness of the Lord. We're in separate places, but in the spirit we're together. And let's take in what we were encouraged to do during communion and to remember the Lord. There's a lot that we don't want to remember about 2020, but what we do know is that God, even in 2020, is faithful. Faithful to his word, faithful to his character. It may not feel that way. It may not feel that way. And I, as I did last Sunday, I acknowledge that many of us have had difficulty in 2020. Fortunately, there's a, there's a member we lost this week. Um, another person I called, uh, got in contact with, they lost a loved one. And that's just some of the people that I know about. So there's folks who have really been suffering even recently. And some of you are out there. Uh, experiencing that. And we deal with this tension as we talked about, this tension between acknowledging the reality of pain and suffering. There's no, there's no way around that. But also living in the reality of Christ, which is to say that pain itself is temporary. Suffering is temporary because of the hope we have in Christ, but we live with both. And we should be encouraged to know that in Christ, God is big enough to handle anything we've encountered. We're going to talk a little bit more about that today in our series. And uh, as you know, uh, I'm really excited about this. First of all, because it's going to be contextualized by our fast. We're going to be fasting for 21 days starting tomorrow uh, from January 4th to January 24th. I've talked to a couple of people who've already started fasting. They're that excited about it, which is fantastic. There's three aspects of it. Uh, first of all, the Word. Uh, we're going to be reading the book of Ephesians and the book of John. The book of Ephesians we're going to be discussing on Sunday, and we're going to be covering that. So we encourage you to reread the book of Ephesians over and over again, starting with chapter 1, one chapter each day. And when you finish Ephesians, go back and start again for the duration of the 21 days. For the book of John, we encourage you to read one chapter a day. There's 21 chapters in the book of John, and Bishop Ed, my father's going to be talking about that during noon Bible study. So there's a couple of ways in which you engage. So there's the word. Also, there's faith. And the faith part is the fasting part, where you get to decide how you're going to fast for 21 days. We actually have a fasting guide on our website that gives all the particulars of the fast and the scriptures and all those other kind of things. We want you to participate in a way that you know you're going to do it, but also to make sure there's enough sacrifice going on so that you are uh, having some spiritual growth. So there's some instructions there. Please consult with your doctor uh, if, if it relates to food. We want you to be spiritual, but we also want you to use common sense as well. So uh, consider those things as well. And then finally, there's a prayer piece. We want everyone to have a scheduled time with the Lord each day. And I know many of us spend time with God, but for these 21 days, let's have a scheduled time. Uh, intentionality is the key there. And we're going to, to help us with that, we, there's a little book that we're encouraging you to buy. It's called 21 Days of Breakthrough Prayer by Jim Maxim. And it has a little devotional for the 21 days and a little prayer that if you link, if you connect to the website uh, connected with this book, there's a little prayer that's connecting to it. It's a short devotional, but it's keeping us focused on prayer and the Word. So I encourage you to do that. For myself, for my 21 days, I'm going to be basically abstaining from solid foods until 5 p.m. each day and abstaining from uh, media, that is non-essential media and non-spiritual media up until five each day. That's what I'm going to do. You don't have to do that. You can pick a fast that works well for you. 
Uh, but uh, definitely make sure you're uh, engaging in that. With that, I'm going to say a word of prayer, and we're going to get into the Word. Father God, we just thank you for this morning, this opportunity to just draw close to you and to get into your Word and to hear your voice. We pray that the Word of God speaks to us clearly this morning and uh, just draws us closer to you. We thank you for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. We started a new series. And as I told you, we're looking at the book of Ephesians. But the title is interesting. The title is this. You see the, the Christmas decorations in the background. I know Christmas is over, but the title is this. Christmas in January. Gift unwrapping secrets from a prison inmate. I'm going to say it again. Christmas in January. Gift unwrapping secrets from a prison inmate. I'm going to explain all of that as we go through this series. And this first sermon, really, even though the title may not, no, may not trigger that immediately, I'm going to give you, we're going to have a little bit of an introduction to the book of Ephesians. And we're going to be looking at Ephesians in January and February. So we're going to take our time looking at this important letter written by the Apostle Paul. So just bear with me here as we, as we kind of set things up today. So as I said, this series is about the book of Ephesians, and let me note as well that we have online notes that you should access. I give you access to a lot of the, to the scriptures and a lot of my thoughts there, so be sure to take advantage of those digital notes online. But as I said, this series is about the book of Ephesians. Christmas is in the title because for a follower of Christ, Christmas is actually every day. Christmas is every day for a Christian. You know, it's so funny during the holidays, you know, people today, they say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. Uh, but people are celebrating, and many of them don't even know why they're happy. They don't know why they're celebrating. They're just like, this is just a time of joy and, and peace, and they don't quite know. And the reality is, and it's a cliche, I know, but it's the truth. Jesus is the reason for the season before a Christian is not just a season. It's every day of our lives. Go with me to Psalms 118.24 so I can illustrate this a little further. I love this. This is actually a passage that is an inspiration for a popular psalm we like to sing. Psalms 118.24 says this, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. You know what that tells me? That today, that today is a day that has never existed before, that God created just for right now. It won't exist tomorrow. It didn't exist yesterday. Today is the day. And, and in this day, I will rejoice because the Lord made this day. He has purpose for this day. And one of the blessings we have is that God has made the day for us to rejoice in. Let's go to another passage here. And ironically, in the book of Lamentations, uh, verses three, uh, chapter 3, verses 22 through 23, written by the prophet Jeremiah. It's ironic because this book is actually a book about lament, about what's going wrong with Jerusalem. But in the sorrow, in the pain, look what Jeremiah writes or what he's inspired to write by the Spirit of the Lord. It says this, another inspiration for a song we sing often. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And I love this part, verse 23. They are new every morning. 
Great is your faithfulness. They are new every morning. They are new every morning. You know that feeling you had or either you, it, maybe you grew up at a time in a situation where you didn't have a, a, a luxurious Christmas or a lot of gifts or you just imagined it. But, and, and for those of you who did have that Christmas, you can also imagine this, that, that, that morning of getting up. I remember when I was younger and I just couldn't wait I watched my little boys do it now. They couldn't wait till Christmas morning. And they, they might get up at 3, 4 o'clock. We say, boys, go back to bed. Not, it's not time yet. Okay, let's, let's get some sleep first, right? But they're so excited. That's how we should be greeting every morning. Why? Because his mercies are new. It's like new Christmas gifts every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So this is the attitude we should have as believers. These are Old Testament passages, but they are even more fully realized in Christ, who was the consummation of all the principles, promises, and prophecies of Scripture. Right? So as New Testament believers in Christ, all of the gifts, all the things that he's revealed himself to be, all the things that he's provided to his people are in Christ. Christ is literally a gift, and Ephesians tells us just how precious this gift is. Christ is a gift. Jesus is the gift that gives all other gifts value. That's very, very, very important. You know, during the Christmas season, people were looking around trying to find that perfect gift, trying to find the perfect thing for their loved one, or maybe you were sitting there, you were hoping people to get, that would give you this perfect gift. Jesus is the gift that gives every gift value. Why? Because he's permanent, and every other gift is temporary. Jesus is permanent, and all other gifts are temporary. So everything we have, everything we know in life, it passes away. It goes. It doesn't last. But Jesus is forever. And the joy we have in Christ will have now and will have in the world to come. So we've got to get this peace. We've got to receive the gift of Jesus. And as I told you last week, that the challenge is that we have Christ, but he's like a gift under the tree that we don't unwrap. And we go through things in our lives. We experience this, trials and tribulations, and there's a gift under the tree that will help us with it, but we don't touch it. We would rather deal with the things that we can do in our own strength instead of opening the gift that we have in Jesus. Let's continue here. Like most other gifts, an unwrapping process is needed before enjoying it. However, in this case, the wrapping paper is not around the gift, but around our eyes. The wrapping paper is not around the gift, but around our eyes. And many of us are distracted uh, by things we see and can't see this year, or certainly last year, when we're looking at all the things that were coming our way in terms of 2020. And some of us even wondered, some of us maybe even wondering today, where is God in all of this? Why did he allow this to happen? Why did he allow this to happen to my loved one? Why did he allow this to happen to me? Doesn't he see this? Folks, the question is not, the, the issue is not with God's sight. It's with our sight. It's with our sight. 
In fact, Paul, in the book of Ephesians, he, in the early part of this letter, he writes down the prayer he prays every day for the Ephesian church because he knows that accessing the gift that Jesus is requires that our spiritual eyes be opened. God's moving. He's doing things, and he did things in 2020. You just have to have your spiritual eyes open to see it. This is what he prayed in Ephesians 1, 16 through 18. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, verse 18, here's the key, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Some versions say your hearts filled with light. The eyes of your heart filled with light, right? That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The eyes of our heart, the eyes of our understanding enlightened, filled with light. That's what's needed to see God moving. Yes, even in a year of a pandemic. Even in a year of loss and economic loss and financial loss and you haven't got your stimulus check yet, what are you going to do? He's moving. He's doing glorious things. We just need the eyes to see it. Now, Paul, the writer of this letter, he knows this firsthand. He was a man who was physically blinded when he had an encounter with Jesus. However, the physical blindness was symbolic of his spiritual blindness. In Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 5, we see this very clearly. It's talking about Paul. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Verse 5, and he said, who are you, Lord? Now, that's a little ironic because he, he was persecuting the church thinking he was serving the Lord, but he didn't even know the Lord because he was spiritually blind. Verse 5, it says, and he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Before Jesus revealed himself to, to Paul, who was Saul at this time, his name was later changed to Paul, he didn't even know the Lord. He couldn't even see Jesus. He didn't know that he was persecuting Jesus. His actions that he thought were right were actually persecuting Jesus. When he was persecuting the church, he was persecuting Jesus. He was working against Jesus instead of for Jesus. And some of us have that issue. We experience things in life, and we begin working against Jesus instead of for Jesus, but we don't know that because we're blind to it. Our eyes have to be open. So what had happened, Acts 9, verses 8 through 9, Saul rose from the ground, verse 8, and although his eyes were open, that is his physical eyes, he saw nothing. That's a description of some people today. Their physical eyes are open, but they see nothing. They see the news. They see the video. They see what's on the YouTube clip. They see things with their eyes, but they really see nothing. They don't really know how great the work of the Lord is. He's moving. He's been moving. He's way ahead of you. You think God is behind. He's really, behe- he's really ahead. We got to catch up. So our eyes have to be open. This is what Paul was praying in Ephesians, that our eyes be opened. 
Verse 8 again, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. This is symbolic of Jesus' death. He was died for, you know, he was dead for three days and then he rose, right? This is symbolic of that. He's blind. He's physically blind, right? But Acts 9, uh, it continues, Acts 9, verses 17 through 18, it says, So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, meaning Saul, uh, who became Paul later, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Those two things are connected. You want to see more? You need more of the Holy Ghost in your life. You need more of the Holy Ghost in your life. And let me tell you, this fast is not by accident. Listen, there's going to be some things coming down the pike in 2021, and to navigate them, we're going to need the Holy Spirit to be our eyes. You can't just go by the natural. You can't just go by what you see in the natural. You got to go by the Spirit of the Lord. And I mean, he's going to talk to you through the Word, but he's going to tell you specific things. Specific things. I got a relative, and they tell me the, 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 when God speaks to them, they say, hey, the Lord told me to stop watching that show. That show is not a sin, but, they, but the Lord said they need to stop watching it. This person also said, look, the Lord been telling me to go out and exercise, and I wasn't being obedient. And all of a sudden, something started hurting, and the Lord says, see, I told you. I told you to go out and walk. The Holy Spirit's given us instruction. But if we don't have his eyes, we won't be able to see, and we're walking blind. Listen, I'm, I would be scared not to pray in 2021 or any time, really. I would be afraid because I'd be walking blind. We got to seek the Lord so he can navigate us through our situations. Some of us, many of us are dealing with dynamics, especially now, that are urgent situations, and we require the Holy Spirit to be our eyes. Lord, this looks like a maze. What's going on? Holy Spirit, tell me which direction to go. Sometimes we can pray for specific things. Yes, we should do that. But also it says in the book of James to ask for wisdom. The Holy Spirit knows the escape route. He knows the maze. He knows the ins and outs. We need to get wisdom from the Lord. Verse 18 from Acts 9, it says this, And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. So we have to let the scales be removed from our eyes so we can see like Paul. He experienced this, but he prayed for that to happen to the church spiritually. Spiritually. And we'll be praying this. So in, this, in, our, in our fasting guide, Paul's prayer for the church is listed in our fasting guide, fasting guide. So you can actually pray that as part of your prayer time as well. The scales that fell from his eyes represent the barriers that must leave our eyes to see Jesus clearly. 
Some of what Paul discovers as he draws closer to Christ are in his letter to Ephesians, which is why I'm so excited about getting into it. Again, we're not going to get into the minutia today. Um, this is just an overview or a background, and I'll give you a little bit more background next week, and then we'll get into the verse-by-verse the, the verse application there. But let me give you a little background on the Ephesians uh, letter uh, here. So the letter to Ephesians, of course, is written to the church of Ephesus. Ephesus is on the coast of modern-day Turkey, but at the same time, and I'm quoting from the Britannica.com, was the most important Greek city in what was then called Asia Minor. And under Roman rule, it was critically important economically and politically. And so when you think about Ephesus, think about a coastal cosmopolitan multiracial city like Los Angeles or New York. That, that think that's how Ephesus was in its time. And there's a few more statements I'm going to make about Ephesians, and I'm going to be quoting from or citing some information uh, from, from, from Alan Parr. He has a YouTube uh, series in which he expounds on biblical principles. He did something on Ephesus. I incorporated some of his outline here, and his reference information is also in your notes. But saying that uh, we know that Paul started a church in Ephesus around 53 AD, and he started the church when on his way back home from the second of three missionary journeys, which Luke records in the book of Acts. We know Luke wrote Acts. He also wrote the book of Luke, of course. But he records Paul's missionary journeys, and he spends some time in Ephesus. During his third, during his third missionary journey, he goes to Ephesus and spends three years leading the church and pouring himself spiritually into the people. And we see a reference to this in Acts 20, verse 31. And, we, and this is Paul speaking. He says, therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So we see this documenting Paul's commitment to the Ephesian church. He started the church. He pastored the church. He mentored them, all those kind of things. He was invested in them. And now at the conclusion of those three years, he establishes Timothy as a pastor of the church. And in 1 Timothy 1.3, we see this. He's speaking to Timothy. He says, as I urge you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. And Paul was really insisting with Timothy that he make sure that they were doctrinally pure. So, so that's why if you're doing your study of Ephesians, it's actually kind of cool to read 1 and 2 Timothy because it's a, it's a companion to Ephesians because he's speaking to the pastor of the church that he's installing in 1 and 2 Timothy, and he's speaking to the church at large in Ephesus, in the book of Ephesus. Now, Ephesians is a wonderful book, and one theologian describes Ephesians as, quote, one of the most influential documents in the Christian church. This is because, among other reasons, it so neatly, compactly, clearly, and profoundly pre presents what it means to be a Christian. We got to get back to that. <laughs> what does it mean to be a Christian? It's a lot of opinions these days. You see YouTube videos, and I've seen some of these videos where they got the conservative Christians and the liberal Christians, and they're debating about it, and you got different opinions out there, but really, Paul lays it out really clearly in the book of Ephesians about what it actually means to be a Christian. Some people are shocked because they've been living their lives the way they've wanted to live their lives, not realizing what they signed up for when they committed to Christ. Now, 
Unlike many of the other letters Paul writes, Ephesians was not composed primarily to address problems in the local church. While it addresses a handful of local matters, it mainly gives a clear picture of what a life in Christ looks like. It's written so plainly that you can be deceived by its brevity and presumed simplicity. Though only six chapters, spiritually speaking, it is several layers deep, which is why we're asking you uh, over the 21 days to read it over and over and over again. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna break it down chapter by chapter, verse by verse, in terms of what God is communicating to us through it. In fact, if you didn't know Paul wrote the letter, you might think it was penned by a seminary-educated theologian sitting comfortably in a home office. However, Paul's circumstances were quite the opposite. He writes the letter from prison. Paul writes the letter of Ephesians from prison. He's a prison inmate. How many encouraging letters have you received from a prison inmate? I'm not saying they don't exist, but what I am saying, Paul was under circumstances most of us never want to be in. And yet, from where he stood, he was able to encourage us. He caught on to something that many of us don't catch, and we've never been in jail. He's in prison, and he's talking about the blessings we have in Christ Jesus. What is it he knows? What is it he's found? What is it in Christ that made it possible for this man to encourage other people while he himself is in chains? All the glorious praise heaped on Christ and all of the pontifications on how lavishly blessed we are in Christ came from a man sitting in a prison cell. Ephesians is one of actually, it's actually one of five letters that Paul writes from prison. The other four are Colossians, Philippians, Philemon, and 2 Timothy. These are all written from prison. Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon are commonly labeled prison epistles. And while Paul writes 2 Timothy from prison, the location of the writing is different from where he writes the other prison letters. So because 2 Timothy is written to Timothy, it is often grouped with 1 Timothy and Titus, and those three letters are commonly, lab commonly labeled pastoral epistles because they're instructions given to pastors about how to pastor their church. In all of the letters he writes from prison, Paul documents things that you would not anticipate coming from someone living under such stressful conditions. Let me say a few things here. For example, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He wrote that in prison to the Ephesian church. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. He wrote that from prison to the Philippian church. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. He wrote that in prison to the Colossian church. Now, let me pause there for a second. I rejoice in my sufferings. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. 
I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Yeah, I'm going through, but I rejoice because my joy in the Lord will be to your benefit. I can't give up now. I can't give up now. It's not time to give up. I've gone through. I'm in jail. They're trying to take me out. But this is not the time to quit. I rejoice for your sake. Some of you are out there. You've been through. You've gone through. You ain't going through right now. This is not the time to quit. Yes, you can be in tears and rejoice in the Lord. You can be in sorrow and rejoice in the Lord. How? Christ. This is what Paul is trying to communicate to us in Ephesians. It's how lavishly we've been blessed in Christ because God is big enough to handle our tragedy, our loss, our pain, and our sorrow and make it possible for us to rejoice even in our suffering. He's not through. Paul says this, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. He writes that from prison to Philemon. And I love this one. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He writes that from prison to Timothy. These are startling statements, especially considering that his problems weren't just that he was in prison. His whole Christian life was filled with turmoil. In fact, looking at the Bible, I'm not sure there was ever a time where Paul could just kick up his feet and say, ah, there was always trouble. In fact, he documents it, 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 29, he says this. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was drift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, though many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches." He got the nerve to care about other folks while he going through. And yet he writes Ephesians. Let's break this down a little bit. Acts 14, 19 through 20. He says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. I think he did die. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas and to Derby. He didn't stop. I said, I can't quit now. They just stoned me. They just killed me. I got to keep going. I got to keep going. 2020 has been bad for you. For some of you, you got to keep going. Why? Because there's, there's, a, there's the gift of Christ. There's blessings in Christ that make it possible for you to thrive spiritually even when you're going through a difficult season in your life. 
That's how, that's how lavish we've been blessed in Christ. But we, 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 we're not going to know that unless we see it. And to see that, we need the Holy Spirit. And that's why we pray in this month, he, that he will open our eyes to see how great God is. Because what would, what, what would motivate a man to keep going after he's been stoned? I'm talking about not these little bitty rocks, boulders thrown at him. It's not over, Acts 16, 22 to 24. 22, it says, the crowd joined in attacking him. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon him, they threw him into the prison. Hey, listen, this, 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 these, these challenges and protests we're having about the prison and, the, and law enforcement, it didn't start then. It was happening here too. He was unjustly abducted by the police, put in prison without due process of law. And it was a mob, it was a mob that says, he guilty, he guilty. There's been no judge, no trial. The police beat him up, put him in jail. And when they had inflicted many blows upon him, they threw him into prison, ordering the jailer to keep him safely. Verse 24, having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And you know the rest of the story. I hope you do, because that's when they started praising God. It started, he started giving praise to God, and the angels broke him out. But he was unjustly put into pr prison because of the corrupt criminal justice system. Acts 16, verses 35 through 39. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, let those men go. This is after the angel wrecked havoc, right? And the jailer reported those, these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said, nah, player. They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? Nah, let them come themselves and take us out. He was calling out the injustice, but I'm pointing this out to say that he was subject to the injustice of law enforcement. This man went through. He had all kinds of things to complain about, but he kept going. He did not allow that to separate him from the love of Christ Jesus, which is what the devil wants. As I said last week, he's not after you. He's not after your loved one. He's after the love that you have for Jesus. He wants to fracture your relationship with Jesus. If he gets that, he's won. How is it that a man who went through all this could write such encouraging words? What is it that he found in Christ that made it possible for him to comfort us while he needed comfort himself? You see, we have a tendency to view the suffering and loss of loved ones as things that are happening to us. I'm speaking to 2020 right now. Some of us have experienced loss, and I want to speak to you, because we have a tendency to say, this happened to my loved ones, but we experience it as something happening to us. The reality is that while the experience of loved ones affects us, our loved ones are really living out their own experiences. While you can believe God for someone else's healing, there's biblical evidence for this, there are limits to what you can do for someone else spiritually. In other words, this is not God attacking you. This is not, I didn't pray enough. 
I didn't do enough. Sometimes those things play into it, but you got to understand God is not against you. This is because ultimately you cannot control someone else's life. That's witchcraft. That's voodoo. You can influence other people through prayer, but they must walk their own journeys. And sometimes you need to know that you did your job to pray for them. And while God can give you more details about your loved one's situation, you may not be ready for that knowledge. Those matters may be better left to a discussion with Jesus personally in the world to come. We are never privy to all the variables affecting other people's lives. So while it affects us and we mourn, don't write a narrative that says God is out to get you because we don't have that information. And the enemy, again, his desire is to separate us from God. Now listen, what if Paul had quit? What if he said, look, God, what are you doing to me? He actually said this. We won't get there today because of time. But he talked about this. And God, this, this Satan keeps persecuting me. And I, I, what, what, I God, what, what? And God said, he's like, will you just stop all this stuff happening to me? And God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not attacking you, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. That grace is part of the gift we have in Jesus that we don't experience because we don't see him clearly. And that's why Paul was saying, even from prison, if they could just see who I'm going through, they might be going through, but if they could just see Jesus, if they could just see Jesus, like the woman with the issue of blood we talked about last week, she said, if I could just get to Jesus, if I could just see Jesus, it, it, it feels bad right now. I'm sad. I'm, I'm sorrowful because of what's going on, but if I can just get to Jesus, that's what this 21 days is about. Just get to Jesus. Just see him clearly, and there's grace for you. The same grace that made it possible for this man to write these letters in prison and go through all he went through, that grace is available for you. We got to get to Jesus. There might be some of you sitting out here today and you're saying, yeah, I want to get to Jesus, but how do I do that? I had somebody talk to me this week, and they were listening to last week's sermon. They said, I don't know all those scriptures. I mean, what am I going to do? It's real simple. You could just cry out to Jesus. You could just cry out to Jesus. And I don't know where you are right now, wherever you're sitting, but you could just say the name Jesus. And say, Jesus, I, I need you. 
Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I want to see you. Jesus, I want to be with you. Lord Jesus, there's nothing else I want more than you. And that's what this fast is about, to eliminate all the things that give us joy and pleasure and say, Lord, I mean, those things are nice, but they're not you, Jesus. Let me step away from those things, Jesus, so I can see you and know you and be in your presence. And if that's something you've never done before, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. Just repeat after me. Or perhaps you're somebody who you've you've been far from the Lord for a while. You can say this prayer too and be reconnected with him. Repeat after me. Dear God, I come to you now and I submit to Jesus as my Lord, my Savior, my King, and my Master. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and shed his blood and that he was resurrected and that when he rose from the dead, he made it possible for me to live a righteous life Jesus, thank you for saving me. Fill me with your spirit that I may live as you lived. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're saying that prayer for the first time or are saying it for the first time in Minton, I want you to text Zoe Save to the number on your screen. We do that because we want to keep up with you. We want to connect you with other people who are walking this journey, give you some materials that will encourage you and to remind you that Jesus is so, so wonderful. With that said, I want to thank you for joining us this Sunday. We're going to have a great time this month and next month looking at the book of Ephesians. So start with us next uh, tomorrow to read uh, chapter one of Ephesians and chapter one of John. And we're going, to, we're going to have a glorious time these next couple of months. God bless you and enjoy the rest of your Sunday.